0: This is a case-based uh, first session. We're going to finish each sort of half uh, portion of the day with a set of cases. The first one's going to be, as you'll see, a mono-infected patient, and then this afternoon will be an HIV-HCV co-infected patient. Uh, we have uh, faculty coming up, some of whom you've already heard from, some of whom you probably know but they haven't been introduced yet. One of them is Dr. Marion Peters from University of California, San Francisco. Um, and Dr. Ken Shermans from University of Cincinnati. Uh, both of them are hepatologists. And then we have Charlie Flexner, also from Johns Hopkins, coming up. Charlie is a pharmacologist, uh, a physician and treating uh, practitioner as well. So um, great. So what I'm going to do is uh, take us through uh, this case, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of advanced warning that – the same case will change a couple scenarios. Um, so you got to – I'll take you through it, but we're going to shift gears several times, and, so don't get whiplash uh, when, we, uh, when we go through this. All right, so here's, here's the guy. He's a 53-year-old black man who's found to be HCV-infected in the Army 11 years ago. He's heard their new therapies for HCV, consults with you about whether he should be treated at this point in his life, doesn't drink alcohol, he's been appropriately vaccinated. On exam, really nothing much uh, found. His laboratories are uh, f- exams are pretty normal. His ALT is a little bit elevated. Uh, platelet count's pretty normal. R- RNA for HCV is about six million. He's genotype 1A, and he's HIV zero negative. So, what would you recommend we do right now? Um, There's options between treating or different types of uh, things. I don't give you the A, B, one or two. You just gotta take your best shot. Go ahead and vote. Uh, So we're entering a place of time and space. And mind. And the audience wants a liver biopsy, wow. So we have applause from the panel. dr Nagy, you are you are appropriately excited about this. Um, tell us what what brings you such joy
1: i 'm realizing they, they, they um they're standing behind me on this one. All so right. They, they want to risk stratify this patient and make decisions based on that.
0: What about just treating him right away? Just go for it. He wants to be treated. Why not?
1: Yeah, I don't think that's wrong, right? So if the patient absolutely wants therapy and, um, and their platelet count is sufficient and you're not overly concerned about cirrhosis, because um, I think you do want to know that with regards to safety. But otherwise, is it wrong? No. I mean, I've treated patients who absolutely refuse liver biopsy. Um, but I think ultimately you want to have all the information to make a a good decision for the patient. And if they're willing to undergo liver biopsy, I think it really adds a lot to your ability to make a good medical decision.
0: Okay. Hepatologists, or have their hands up. Uh, uh, Dr. Peters. I think that
2: it's very important to know if he has cirrhosis. He clearly doesn't have portal hypertension because his platelets are normal. But if he has cirrhosis, it will change how long you treat him. Mm. So if he doesn't want to have a liver biopsy, then you have to think about other non-invasive methods, which aren't as good, but give you information
0: right so let's say we're five years from now we've got all kinds of direct acting agents at our fingertips and no more interferon and it's sort of like you should treat we should almost treat everyone that we can unless there's a huge contraindication would you still get a liver biopsy then for the same reasons so if the
2: data show that it doesn't matter what stage of disease you have a hundred percent are cured or 90% are cured with all DAAs, all orals, then I wouldn't do a liver biopsy. But we don't have those data, and all the data we have now suggests that having cirrhosis is bad for outcomes. So
0: this gets to one of the take-home points that I wanted to make, and that is this is a rapidly changing field, and answers that are going to be quote-unquote correct today are going to be
3: wrong in the near future. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, Dr. Sherman. Well, just a Comment that uh, several of the answers on this list uh, have some validity sure. and might be employed. We we often would get an ultrasound at baseline to make sure this patient doesn't have a tumor sitting there that that was unsuspected. Uh, many would still get IL-28Bs. Uh, I think in my practice, I don't just meet someone, send them for biopsy, though I would do a biopsy. But uh, I think it's actually important to cultivate a therapeutic relationship over a few visits and... uh, and you have a much better chance of getting that patient through a course of therapy
0: over a few visits, but probably not a couple of beers. A that would be to yeah. <laughs> and a 14, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll encourage them to come back after you stick their liver. Um, but I, obviously, you know, I've written for the American Board of Internal Medicine. This is a horrible question because there's no single best answer. But that, I deliberately made it this way for the purpose of discussion. So thanks for bearing with me. Um, So, Dr. Nagy, you referenced the IL-28B, and just to kind of follow up, he's got a CT uh, response. and I don't don't think you showed this exact slide, but this is a slide that um, sort of marches through uh, the response rates. This is mostly just a uh, peg interferon ribavirin, and you can see that when there are CC genotypes um, of of Caucasian descent uh, up to 80 percent, uh, a lot of the uh, response rates in African Americans can be explained by this genotype, but even the CCs, for some reason, don't respond quite as well. Uh, any, any additional comment?
1: So you the CC.
0: Uh, sorry, the, the, the TT. Sorry, yeah, the oh, yeah. CC does respond, right. but not quite as right. well.
1: Right. Yeah, and again, that, that this is that that picture is the. You know, what I said in terms of the R-squared of the, no- the model for this is that it only explains 50% of the difference in SVR, which means there's something else there to explain it, and we know that race is part of that, and that, that's what you right. said. Right.
0: Uh, so what I found intriguing, uh, David, in your talk, was uh, the notion that even with no interferon in a regimen, the IL-28B genotype plays a role. Any, any elaboration on why that might be? Uh,
4: I mean, you can, you can speculate, so... Um you know, presumably these direct-acting agents inhibit virus replication but don't completely eradicate it from cells maybe in some instances, and you need the innate immune system to come in and just clean things up, I think is what people fall back on. but We don't really have any empiric evidence to say that's the case or not.
0: But, right. And to be precise, when you say innate immune system, endogenous man-made yeah. interferon, it's mean, normally there.
4: Right. And it's, it is it is pretty well described, at least in vitro, that hepatitis C does hostmate, I should say, subvert yeah. some of the, you know, innate interferon signaling pathways with, you know, RIG-1 and and some things like that that maybe hepatitis C protecimeters can actually restore.
0: Right. So this gets down to the details here. Liver biopsy should be performed on all patients uh, whether to decide whether to treat now or wait. Um, Let's go ahead and either validate Dr. Nagy or not. If they're a Munster, you biopsy all the time, especially if it's Herman Munster. Okay, so some of the audience, you lost a little bit of your uh, group here, yeah. I'm not going to
1: take that personally. Right.
0: <laughs> so, Dr. Thomas, you want to weigh in on this one? Just Do you think liver biopsy should always
5: well, I I think that um, the liver staging should be done on everyone because you need to know whether or not to do a patacellular carcinoma screening and because uh, it might impact on the urgency of treatment and on the length of treatment if, and whether or not you can do the RGT uh, abbreviated treatment courses. So in, it's, it's the exceptional – it's hard for me to imagine a patient uh, for whom I wouldn't want to have some information on staging. You, you cleverly said all, and, and we all know from taking tests that all is never – Wait. All, all equals never. is always never. wrong. Or yeah. Something like anyway. So, so I think it was just sort of the way it was asked that, that, that created sure. the, the distribution. I will say that, um, that the information that you can gain when you frame the questions that way, the information that you can gain from non invasive testing can often be sufficient because you're really looking for negative predictive values for excluding that someone has cirrhosis. Uh, and, um, and, and so it, it really depends on the question that you're asking. Uh, what, what test is optimal in my uh, yeah. experience. And also I'll say that don't think that, that a liver biopsy is the same irrespective of where you get it. There's clear irrefutable evidence that the size of the biopsy matters a lot. And so if you're getting it from a radiologist with an 18-gauge needle, you're not getting the same information that uh, Ken's getting with uh, a, 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 a water-gauge needle where he's doing the procedure himself and so you can't compare those those are like two different tests and that's, that's clear so I think you have to factor all that in when you make your decisions
0: right. uh, Dr. Sherman, a quick return from a question from the audience to your beginning of your courtship with your ther- therapeutic courtship with your patient um, if they come in and they have absolutely no stigma they look totally normal do you still go through the
3: ultrasound and everything else uh, tell us why so uh Liver disease in the population is quite common and actually in all of my patients I'm concerned about a variety of things the the presence of other genetic diseases that might influence the course and progression of fibrosis like genetic hemochromatosis the gene is in 7% of the population alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency gene is in 2 to 3% of the population uh, NAFL and NASH, which cannot be separated from each other by any imaging technique and require a biopsy for evaluation, but uh, the ultrasound showing a very bright echogenic liver might further push you towards getting that biopsy. So
0: okay.
3: I think, yep. yes. Okay.
0: So now uh, Dr. Thomas mentioned non-invasive tests. I'm going to give you two questions back-to-back here without any pause. The first is you get a uh, uh, sort of a fibro what's called fibro sure, it's a series of it's a blood test that gives you a risk index and this risk index comes back at zero point one two. Would you order a biopsy in that setting? Yes, no, or not sure. Go ahead and vote. It's appropriate music for this city, isn't it? Okay. Most weren't sure. Let's go to the next question. came back at 0.68. Does that help you? Uh, go ahead and vote.
5: <laughs> Does anyone know what those are No, not wait, wait, that's, that's sort of my point. Let's go ahead and vote on this one. Lost our
0: music. It went. Oh, okay. So Linus would say still not sure. Okay, Dr. Peters, this is your your bailiwick. We'll knock them out here. So,
2: I have to tell you that I never look at the 0.xx. I always look at what F they tell you, F0 to 1 or F which is very minimal disease versus F4 which is cirrhosis. Right. And what you can say about the fibrosure is the first one was F0 and the third one is I think F3, F4. but It's as, hard to tell. You know, I'm a liver person. I just look it up every time. Because right. what if they change the assay?
1: So, so that quite, yes. the
2: bottom line is if it's F0 or F4, it's 80% accurate that it's real. So 20% of the time you're completely wrong. If it says F2 or 3 it's 30% accurate. So you're really in doo-doo. You don't know what to do. So I think what you have to... You say to the... I often use it as a way to introduce the patient to the idea of staging. I say, let's do this test, and if it says F0, we won't treat you till there are better drugs. If it says F4... You better get moving, and maybe if you don't want to be treated, we should do a biopsy and see because it will change how long we treat you. If I do a biopsy and you don't have cirrhosis, we could halve the length of time. Right. And if it's in the middle, bad luck. Right. If you have a fibre scan, you could do that. Otherwise, you need well, a biopsy. Well, if it's in the middle,
0: you do the biopsy. And I think that was the main point, that here you have a world-class hepatologist telling you that she looks it up every time. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is the second thing is that you can end up in doo-doo. That's the other point. Okay. Well, the
5: other point I'll just bring up there is that if you do the liver biopsy and you have an F0, you have a, about a 15 percent chance of being wrong. And if you have an F3, you have about a 15% chance of being wrong. So it's not just all these tests have a chance of being wrong, and that's why Ken does a comprehensive – that's why people that are experienced do a comprehensive evaluation. It, sometimes the non-invasive tests get a little bit of an overly bad rap because they are wrong, and they are wrong, but so are the invasive ones right. uh, sometimes wrong, uh, but interestingly always in the under – estimate of fibrosis.
0: Okay, so we have our panel of experts here, and this is a test uh, called the elastography, or the a fibroscan. And uh, how many people in the audience have access to a fibroscan? So a few, all right. But I would say most don't. How many of the panel have access to fibroscan? More, most do. Okay. Um, so this is, it's all over Europe, uh, this test and it's basically an impedance sort of assessment that uh, ultrasound kind of driven. But the bottom line is, is that it gives you a sense of liver stiffness and therefore indirectly cirrhosis. But a problem in the U.S. is that it doesn't work as well in an obese patient, um, and 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 it's still in development uh, in the U.S. Do you all find it helpful uh, in your practice? Uh, not really. I do. You do. Oh, it's a so,
5: be careful with you. It's, a, it's not licensed for care in the United States. So, you're, I mean, we're... We are can not use it. We can't use it for our practice. So, both Dr. Peters and I rarely use it for our practice because <laughs> it's not licensed for that purpose. So it just means you I mean, can't I mean, charge never, for it. Never, we never uh, use it for that reason. Right. I mean, really, it provides information that's not, according to the research that's been done, it's very similar to, um, in terms of its validity, to the fibrosure blood test, this one happens to be kind of better on the high end, on the cirrhotic end. The other one, a bit better on the sensitivity, for example, low-stage diseases. But it doesn't matter because you can't get it, and you can't order it, and you can't use it. So for most people so the, in the U.S., the reason, it's not that yeah, helpful.
0: The reason to show it is to make that point, that it's probably better on the cirrhotic end. But you, the punchline is you're going to end up doing a liver biopsy uh, for most cases anyway. Um, so the, here you do your biopsy. This, now, this is where you've got to be careful as I'm shifting gears. So I'll give you several scenarios. So the first scenario, you do a liver biopsy. It comes back nice, right? I mean, that's, that's a normal liver. There's not even there's much fat. Of, there's a lot of fat in there. Uh, <laughs> it's normal for the That's a normal US American liver. American liver. You see some that's golden a, arches? You see the golden arches in here? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so it comes back with golden arches and nothing else, and uh, what are you going to recommend? Go ahead and vote. This is Jim Lang. Isn't it? Dating game? Yeah, I think so. All right, what what do we got? Is that right? I think so. So most would not treat. The panel more or less recommend. Yeah, uh, the
2: only point I make is to accurately stage a biopsy. You need at least 2 centimeters and at least 11 portal tracks. So if you don't have 11 portal tracks, as David said, you're grossly underestimating.
1: And I think it's important. I mean, I, this is probably what Ken was going to say, and I should probably let the liver doctors actually handle this, but is that if you, if you use a Klatskin needle... Um, and many centers still do, there's a risk of a cirrhotic who has a lot of fibrosis that the tissue falls apart. And when that happens, you'll, your pathologist should tell you that there are, there's a lack of portal triads, but if they don't do that, you should get very suspicious that indeed this patient has cirrhosis. And those patients will often get staged, at least in my experience, as a zero or a one, and, cl- and they're clearly cirrhotic. So right. you do have to have knowledge about how to... Um, you know, look at the pathology report and have a communication with your pathologist if they don't report out the portal triads. And,
2: and they will report how many portal tracks and how long it is. It's sort of part of their QA.
1: Okay,
0: so somebody sent a question up about what, what is a non-invasive test, the fibrosure. It's basically a blood test. It's a compilation of a number of uh, different tests that they throw together in an index. So all you have to do is order it, as I believe is a fibrosure, is it
2: and I think the thing to remember about a fibroSure is includes bilirubin. So if your patient's on atazanavir, yep. it'll be incorrectly elevated because of unconjugated un- hyperbilirubinemia, and you'll, they'll say the patient has F3 or F4, and it's not true. Okay. So if you just you have to remember that. There's, there's
3: also a commercial test called the HepaScore. And what they've done is, in their interpretation, taken a more conservative approach to the uncertainty that's present in the receiver-operator curves of the characteristics of the test. And unfortunately, that leads to a result that may be more honest but is even less useful. It actually comes out something like high chance of between F2 and F4. Nice. And that leaves you with absolutely nothing. Translated <laughs> biopsy. Okay, so you get the biopsy. Here you are.
0: This is we shifted into second gear. This is a second scenario, and you can see the the fat is kind of still there to some degree, but now you see some uh, evidence of uh, portal triad uh, scarring. I like this mic. Okay. All right. So um, so what are you gonna what are you gonna do now? Take GI boards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not He's ta-
2: training for the GI
5: boards. <laughs>
0: it's okay, it's okay. I, get these I know, I'm just going to show, I'll let them interpret. It's, it's not bad, it's, it's okay, go ahead and vote. Get me off the hot seat. See, we're all friends here. Alright. So most would still not treat. I think we'll skip on because the next one, the liver biopsy shows this, and I can tell you even on my liver boards that's bad. Yeah, that's, or is, that's is lots George, of blue. As George Herbert Walker Bush would say, it's evil. It's bad. It's bad. Not prudent. Okay. So this is this has got portal triad bridging, and uh, so it's 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 kind of evil. So what are you going to recommend for this guy? Go ahead and vote. The intrigue is built. Brad, help me out. What was that one? I can't remember. All right, it doesn't matter. So here we get to that which would you use. The interesting thing is only a few people would not treat. So even our hepatologist would treat this guy, right? All right, so let's change the – so the point of this, and Dave and I talked about this before the meeting about how we would communicate. And I think what's going on in all of our heads is this notion – of a grayscale of the liver biopsy result, kind of being good to moderate to bad, and then the timeline of when drugs are going to be available and when you might be able to wait or when you when you should treat. So this last one was more into the red scale, so that you really don't really have a lot of time. Uh, that's somebody you might want to treat now, and someone earlier you might earlier in their staging. Because progression is a little bit slower, you can afford to wait and wait for interferon-free. Yeah, Ken.
3: I just wanted to make, because in medicine, everything is tempered by the patient sitting in front of you. So a young woman with virtually no disease who wants to begin having children and is willing to wait to get through treatment, this is someone that you might treat at a very early stage of disease in an effort to cure this, prevent vertical transmission right. and, uh, and other problems. And, uh, and similarly, someone who has, again, other factors that are comorbid features that, that could accelerate disease, you might treat more aggressively at an earlier stage, knowing they have a better response at that stage. Right.
0: So the two questions that just come up basically asking the same thing on ken i'll keep you at the microphone How, what do you do when you see nash or you see fatty liver is there anything besides if it got real bad transplant them or something but uh i mean what are you going to do to treat it
3: well so two quick comments first many people have NAFL, non-alcoholic fatty liver far fewer have nash which is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis and and one is a progressive disease and the other probably isn't, and you need to separate those out, and that can only be done on a biopsy. Uh, the patients with NASH clearly need to lose weight, consider interventions like vitamin E, and uh, lose weight again. Uh, <laughs> however, sometimes sometimes our treatments will help facilitate that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right um, i 'm going to skip this slide um, well so what 's really helped us, and I think this is invisible to most people in the in the general community, the medical community, but the FDA has really helped speed the development of these drugs and, it, and really sort of from my perspective, hats off to them because they 've issued guidance that says for companies developing DAAs to study all patients at all disease states, so remember how HIV drugs usually had to wait for the best treated patients to get. Now they're saying treat the cirrhotics, treat the, the other folks, uh, the HIV co-infected. Uh, you can use single arm studies with historical controls. You don't have to develop your interferon-free regimen against interferon. There's enough data of how interferon performs. And while that's scientifically, maybe you could raise your eyebrow, but if you're getting 90% cure rates, you don't need a control arm to tell you that that's good. And, and you know that the side effects with interferon are bad. Um, the other considerations is to um, look for maximum response, especially for those who have limited uh, options, um, and, and move forward. Uh, they didn't say that every patient in a study should have a biopsy, although a lot of times it's appropriate, as we mentioned, um, Using these non invasive tests and try to enroll as many patients as possible with cirrhosis. A lot of the previous studies had only gotten up to 5 or 10 percent, and they want to see most of these studies have 30 percent because, as you've already heard, uh, a lot of people with cirrhosis um, don't respond as well to therapy, and we can get into issues about why. Um, The special populations that I already mentioned, the co-infected, try to have uh, different endpoints, focus on the drug-drug interactions that Charlie Flexner is going to talk to us about in detail, um, and include the compensated cirrhotics and ultimately the transplant patients. Now let's go to the fourth. I'm shifting into fourth gear. Remember, it's our same guy from the Army who's coming in, but this time... Instead of having normal, normal, normal on his exam, he really has a ascites, and he's got hemorrhoids, and he's got a little confusion, and he's got some lab abnormalities um, that you see here. Uh, what would you do in this setting? Go ahead and vote. Whoops. Missed the vote. Move on. Okay, can't vote. Uh, how many people would refer to a hepatologist? <laughs> How many people would treat, treat him? Wow. Okay, that's the only wrong answer up there. Good, so you passed. Tell, um, we'll, we'll turn to our hepatologist, uh, Dr. Peters. Tell us why you would not give this guy interferon.
2: Because interferon eradicates virally infected hepatocytes, and if you've only got 10, you might cure the patient and kill get rid of the uh, virus from the liver but kill the patient. So it's absolutely contraindicated to treat this patient unless they're on the transplant list and they're high enough meld that they're going to get a transplant and then you could treat them because if they were negative going into the transplant, they have an extremely high likelihood, well over 90% of not infecting the new liver I know you heard from Dr. Shaw this morning that it, there's so much virus in the blood, it's universal to reinfect the new liver. So that would be one reason to treat, but it's a special circumstance when the patient's on the transplant list, and it's extremely difficult.
0: So in this, in this patient, you go back to George Herbert Walker and say, not going to die. It's not going <laughs> to die." All right, so we're going back to scenario three. I'm downshifting because so this is the guy that we said we would treat. Um, and so now, just to kind of orient you, that's where we are. This guy's got this kind of nasty-looking biopsy. And, and a decision is made, um, and together he and you opt for this uh, tilaprovir based regimen. He starts it on June 1st. Uh, he comes back on July 1. That's this year, I guess. He says he feels a little tired, otherwise okay. He's his gone from 6 million to less than 18 copies. Uh, wonderful response. His AST has gone down. He's a little anemic. His white count's 3,000. Platelet count's gone from whatever it was to 110. Um, On week 12, uh, you'll notice that he's still got undetectable virus. Remember, he's on a telapravir regimen. And so what are you going to recommend? Continue the telapravir and everything through 24, then stop. You're going to continue through week 48, then Stop. You're going to stop the telaprevir at week 12 and continue through week 24, stop at week 12, continue through 48, or stop everything now. This is kind of a test to see if you are listening at all to Dr. Nagy. Let's go ahead and vote. And it is complicated. That's why I put it in here. It's not meant to be a negative test. Good evening. Wow, so the winners, they got it. Okay, so Dr. Nagy, you want to reinforce your teaching point?
1: So this is a pa- patient, stage 3, 4 disease, um, so he's going to get a year of therapy, but he only requires 12 weeks of that telaprevir. And he met criteria to continue on because yep. he was uh, undetectable at week 4 and, and also at week 12 as well as at week 24. So
0: Right. And so the, the, the other part that gets confusing is answers 1 and 2. You stop telaprevir at week 12, but you don't stop biseprevir. So it's, it's, it gets, gets kind of crazy. Um, and this is, these are the concepts you've already heard about, the early virologic response. You were joking around with some of the DAAs. You could have an RRR VR, which is a really, really, really rapid virologic response, <laughs> which just happens in about two days. It would be like Austin Powers. Um, and so then it will get really kind of crazy, but kind of be prepared for that. We've already gone through stopping rules, and we're reinforcing the point that with cirrhosis you go on to 48 weeks. So the end of the story of version one, um, he goes on to 48 weeks, does well, and everyone says, yippee, because he's cured. All right, now I've been downshifting. We're still in that crazy scenario three, okay, but something else happened. This, isn't, this is what happened this time. So you started the therapy. He comes back. He feels tired. Uh, he's got a good response. Um, his hematocrit, blah, blah, blah. But he tells you that about three weeks um, after starting therapy, he had some anal itching. Remember, he's on telaprevir, followed by a little rash. And Dr. Sherman's going to go into a lot of detail about how to do this. And there's the rash, and it's only on his leg. Um, Mucous membranes and clear, blah, blah, blah. I've already shown you the labs. So what are you going to do? He's he's about four weeks into therapy. He's coming back for his first checkup. He's got anal itching and a rash. Um, Go ahead. And vote. Y'all know what this is, right? Sarah Fawcett, Charlie's Angels. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Charlie says to use steroid cream. Um, thoughts, panel? I didn't mean to say Charlie, I was thinking Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Okay, Ken.
3: Yes, okay. steroid cream there, That's good. steroid so, cream in his butt. All right, so symptomatic
0: therapy, it's not really bad at this point, but he starts you start the steroid cream, but the rash keeps getting worse, and it picks up tempo, and now he's got some maybe mucous membrane involvement. So what are you going to do? He's on tilaprovir interferon ribavirin. Um, oh, this is wrong. Sorry. Eh. Let's skip this. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this is the one I'm looking for. Um, So he's got this rash. It's progressed. It's 11 weeks. Uh, You're going to add prednisone. You're going to continue the rabavir and stop telaprevir, continue everything, blah, blah, blah. Go ahead and vote. Okay. All right. Dr. Peters, this is a guy who's got a progressive rash on tilaprovir at 11 weeks, had a nice early virologic response.
2: But he's got mucous membrane involvement.
0: Possibly. So I'd
2: admit him to hospital, get the dermatologist to see him and stop all therapy. If they're wrong, and I'm absolutely the worst dermatologist I know, and they say (laughs) that's not mucous membrane involvement, that's, you know, a herpetic ditzel, then I would stop the telaprevir and continue the other medication.
0: Okay, well, that's a good point. So we think it's Stevens-Johnson or some variant of, of that.
2: No, no, we worry about it because we're ignorant.
0: Let's see. So it's like me reading liver biopsy. Correct. You're saying. Yes, I see. Okay. But that's a take-home point, that if it's just a progressive rash, then you'd stop the telaprevir if there's no evidence of Stevens-Johnson. If there's evidence of mucous membrane or, or more systemic illness, then you'd stop everything is kind of the take-home point. Okay, I'm gonna, you've already heard that. So you, in this case, it wasn't mucous membrane; it was a herpes ditzel. <laughs> and um, so his HIV RNA remains undetectable. His rash is getting better. Um, what are you going to do? We've kind of already gone through this. No, it's a good, it's a good. Yeah. So I'm gonna, let's skip this. Sorry, in the interest of time. Okay. So. I just want to get to these last uh, couple versions so we finish on time. Um, so, this time, you didn't put them on telaprovir. I'm trying to do, be balanced and give you the full spectrum because we don't have a strong indication of one therapy versus another, as Dr. Nagy told us. So, this time we opted for interferon ribavir and and he started that on, say, let's say May 1 because he got the interferon ribavirin lead-in. On June 1, the Busaprovir was added. July 1, he comes in, he's feeling all right, but a little tired, has all the following. This time, the thing to note is his hematocrit has gotten a little bit lower. And this isn't unique to Busaprovir. It's like this could happen with either one, but he's got a hematocrit of 25. So how are you going to manage this? So anemia, he's maybe a little bit more tired than what you'd expect. Um, You've got some options here. I'll let you read them. Go ahead and vote. I'm sorry. Got Floyd the Barber, Barney Fife. Okay, dose reduced ribavirin 68% thought to do that. Dr.
6: Flexner, would you do that? Well, I think it's. I think it's a reasonable thing to do, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's um, um, at, particularly at this point in his treatment, unlikely to alter his his chances of having a sustained virologic response. So yeah, I think yeah. this is.
0: Doctor Thomas, yeah, you know of any data about this or? Uh,
6: uh, yeah,
5: I mean there have been a couple of studies uh, that have looked at the likelihood of SVR based on uh, different approaches uh, to. Uh, the management of anemia and rabepridone dose reduction uh, is uh, does not have an inferior SVR rate to uh, other approaches, such as uh, using recombinant erythropoietin uh, or uh, transfusing the individual. One of the things that we've found is that this problem, as Susanna pointed out, is actually bigger than uh, anticipated, bigger than advertised in the phase three studies, and one in which. Which, where I felt like I actually underestimated or under, uh, responded. under-responded. Under-responded? <laughs> I, I didn't respond aggressively <laughs> enough early on, and now we get pretty aggressive uh, with uh, queuing people up for um, uh, using uh, recombinant erythropoietin even queuing them up for transfusions and that sort of thing to get them through treatment because it really has been a big problem with our cirrhotic patients.
0: Right and I think this is the, the study that uh, Dave was referring to is a one that was presented just at the last easel meeting in Barcelona that pretty large number of patients, um, I believe it was a biseprovere study, a substudy that showed no difference with dose reduction of in a, of ribavirin yet. Charlie? I just want
6: to mention that there is, uh, there are a couple of groups in Europe that are exploring therapeutic drug monitoring and dose individualization for ribavirin as a strategy for preventing anemia, which is is kind of interesting. Um, I think one big question mark is whether when we start talking about interferon-free regimens with multiple DAAs, we're also talking about ribavirin-free regimens. And if we find that we need to continue to use ribavirin as a backbone drug for treatment, even if we can get rid of interferon, there may be more interest in Figuring out ways to individualize doses of ribavirin so you can avoid anemia. Okay.
0: So he's not getting any worse by week 12. He's not sure he wants to continue. You run, up, you run some iron and ferritin levels, and they're kind of normal. He doesn't have hemochromatosis. Start EPO. Uh, getting a little better by week 16. Still undetectable HCV. Uh, other labs are unchanged. Um, what would you do here? Would you... Stop all the therapy. He's had an early virologic response. Uh, Stop the boseptivir, Stop the ribavirin. Or continue as is. Go
1: ahead. Okay.
0: 81% say stay the course. Change wouldn't be prudent. Dr. Weil, what do you think? Um...
4: So we're at 16 weeks here, which is yeah. undetectable. I mean, how much, I guess the things I'd want to know is how much we dose-reduced Rob if we went down to 600 or, Went down know, to 600, yeah, so yeah. a healthy dose, which is this, echoing the same thing Dave actually said, just, you know, it's the same thing we realized. We kind of under-responded, I think, initially to the amount of anemia, and you, what you don't want to do is get in a position where you're, your back's against the wall, that you drop them so much that you are forced to stop all therapy. Right. So, I mean, I think in this case, I, I generally agree you'd continue everything. He's only up to 27%. Probably okay to watch. Um, you know, I don't think you need to transfuse at this
0: point. Right. In, th- in this particular case, uh, it was decided to stop just because he was complaining a lot, but he ended up doing well, um, and his hematocrit improved, and he ended up being cured, so everybody's happy.
3: And so, that- so no EPO? You wouldn't use no, he, EPO? Actually, I think he got the he EPO. He did get the EPO. Yeah, yeah he got EPO, the EPO. Yeah. At, okay. He was on it, EPO. It only,
0: only helped him a little bit but uh, when stopping the other drug, it helps. So th- these other these DAAs so far can contribute to anemia, not nearly like ribavirin. And one of the things about ribavirin to really expect is anemia because of hemolysis. That's how it causes anemia. Uh, and it will happen in the first two to three weeks of therapy. And sometimes it can be profound, I mean, like a rock. And um, so just th- that's what you want to – I think it was Susanna was talking about, preparing patients for therapy and what to expect – if you're using ribavirin, you can expect anemia. Just you're going to feel fatigued. And the thing is, if somebody starts off with a normal hematocrit, even hematocrit going from 40 to 30 has profound impact on quality of life, especially on the physical score of, of uh, the SF-36. Um, Susanna?
1: No, I think we also underestimate the role that interferon plays here because yeah. it has marrow suppression, and so these patients don't have the ability to respond appropriately either. So hopefully, once we have interferon staring out of the picture, um, maybe these patients will have a, a bone marrow that can at least respond in some way to the anemias that are caused by the DAAs or the roboverin.
0: So we've got 50 seconds left for any final comments. Uh, any other words of wisdom from the panel? Uh, go ahead. Oh, Dr. <laughs> uh, you, Dr. Peters. is... Dr. Peters. All right. Come on, yeah. Come so you wrap it up for us, Marian. That you can. Awesome.
2: Yeah. I think an important question about the anem uh, comment about the anemia is there are multiple ways to manage it, but the first thing to do is to drop the ribavirin to 600. It's not like it was with interferon ribavirin alone. When you did that, you got a worse response with the new therapies. Do it fast, and we were very slow at that. Then the second thing is, do you order the EPO right away? But you have to get iron studies and ferritin before most insurance companies will approve it. So send that the same day. And if you got them before you started therapy, you'd be really smart. And then the third thing is, if you don't get a response, then you need to think about uh, transfusion. And we check the CRIT every week because we've been so wrong when we've waited a couple of weeks like we used to for interferon uh, uh, and ribavirin alone. So you need to be very proactive and do everything at once.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much. Um, Let's have a round of applause for our panel. Thank you very much. Good job.